Hey, listeners, this episode contains adult language and discussions of adult situations and themes. So listener discretion is very much advised. We normally don't put that sort of disclaimer at the front of an episode because, hey, if we're talking about Hannibal or Blade or Candyman, you know what you're getting into. But we're talking about Disney princesses and the discussion veers into some interesting places here. So if you have little ears around you, maybe don't listen to this episode with them around. Thanks and have a great time. Hi, I'm Eddie. I run a comic shop and publish my own comic strip. And I'm Roger, and I run a comic shop and my very own Comic-Con. And I'm Joe, a lifelong fan who does all the real work to make our show go. Every week, we'll discuss the newest insider info that you won't get from your favorite comics and talk to some of our favorite creators and publishers. So come take a peek behind the counter with Tales from the Comic Shop, part of the Geek Nerd Network. Weekly on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. children you must walk feminine talk feminine smile and beguile feminine utilize your femininity that's what every girl should know if she wants to catch a bow oh won't somebody please think of the children okay first i'm not a princess I'm the daughter of the chief. Same difference. No. If you wear a dress and you have an animal sidekick, you're a princess. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye. Oh, my gosh. It's been a minute. Hey. Welcome. Hey. Hey, bro. KJB. Hey, um, buddy. Oh, and it's me, Andy. It's your boy, Andy. I'm, uh... It's mom spaghetti. Uh, <laughs> yep. I'm in the... I'm, uh, we, we took a very long hiatus as I moved and dealt with existential crises and the world almost ending a couple of times and, you know, just normal 2022 stuff. So welcome back and we're, but we're back and we're going to talk about the Disney Renaissance movies. So I find it really fitting that we're coming back to the craziest ass Disney princess movie that we could come back to after that long of a break. Yeah. Especially considering that our last stuff was Hannibal. Hannibal. <laughs> to go from Hannibal season three to like <laughs> The Little Mermaid, like years from now, if someone is like encountering the podcast for the first time, there's going to be like this weird break. And they're like, whoa, what? things really changed between Hannibal season three and The Little Mermaid. I'm, it's like, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't that Hannibal didn't end with either a, a fish or a crab meal. Because that would have been an even that better transition. Like, oh, poor Sebastian. <laughs> Ren- well, Rene Abergenois showing up and making it, and singing a song. And who wants to lay poisson? My, you guys know how much I hated Hannibal, and my Hulu refuses to remove it from my stuff list. Like, it won't. Oh, it, no. So every time I go into my stuff on Hulu, I see his face there, and it, I can't remove it. I've tried it. Oh, yuck. Even started a new account, and it's just there. So. Oh, no. So I'm the excited Matrix to has you Seriously, you're totally you're stuck now. Uh, there, there, yeah, there needs to be a way to, like, tell the algorithm, like, no, this was a phase. This wasn't me. I just watched it because <laughs> I was curious. School. Don't <laughs> 
I was no. curious. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> I was I just mad a curious. In That's right. I, I was mad curious, but now I'm better. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Everything God. is fine. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. But uh, The Little Mermaid. Um, so we started forever ago talking about Disney princesses and we went through the classic princesses, Snow White, Cinderella, uh, Sleeping Beauty. And then we also talked about Alice in Wonderland. It's important in the context here, like decades have passed right. since Sleeping Beauty. That was 1969. This is 1989. So 20 years so to put that in perspective, that's 2002. So what as much stuff happen? has happened since 2002 until now. And do either of you know why there was the gap? Did they just not, was there nothing that they thought of that would be valuable? Did no fables to ruin? Uh, like oh yeah, the they forgot about girls. <laughs> yeah, no, Brooke, you're you're absolutely right. Well, okay, there's a, there's a couple oh, of bastards. <laughs> oh wait, girls exist. Oh, hey, we should do some movies about them. <laughs> There's a couple big things. The death of Walt Disney, obviously, like, a major, major factor. And in fact, post-Disney's death, the company really declined really severely. And they meandered for a lot of the 70s and 80s, not really knowing what they're doing. And you look at what they're putting out um, in terms of content. Um the Jungle Book was the last animated movie that Walt personally oversaw. And so everything between then and Little Mermaid, you've got you've got the Rescuers, you've got the Black Cauldron, you've got um uh the Fox and the Hound. Uh and and by that point, um the Black Cauldron was actually such a financial loss for them, Disney was like on the verge of Jeez. bankruptcy. Um, and people were saying like, is Disney like going to go away? Not that they would fold up shop, but maybe Disney's just a company that runs theme parks and that puts out, you know, that re-releases their classic movies. Cause that's the only things that they're putting out there that are actually making money. Um, and then uh, we have a change in the guard at Disney. Michael Eisner comes in as CEO and puts Jeffrey Katzenberg, the co-founder of Queeby, uh, as the, the head of animation. And uh, he is overseeing some of this, you know, later stuff in, in the 80s. Uh, but he's trying to right the ship. And I, I think over the next many episodes, we're going to talk a lot of shit about Jeffrey Katzenberg, the co-founder of Queeby. Um, but it's important to remember that, like, yes, he actually was part of what happened here and in, in riding the ship. Right. Um, and, and so there, you know, a, a small, before we talk a lot of shit about him, a small doff of our cap to him. Um, but... So this is really interesting. Um, uh, he ran these things where uh, I can't remember. It was it was either Tuesdays or Thursdays. They'd have what they called the gong show. And um, all of the animators could come in and they could pitch anything. 
and if and if it was an idea, they'd say, okay, go go develop it. Um, but it was just this open forum for like big ideas. Okay. Um, during the production of Black Cauldron, uh, two of the people working on Black Cauldron, uh, Ron Clements and um, oh, John Musker. I forgot um, Musker's first name. So I always just think of them as Musker and Clements. Um, they, uh, Ron John. Clements came in with an idea and said, the little mermaid, we should do, we should take Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales and we should, and we should do that. Katzenberg co-founder of Quibi, um, shot the idea down because splash had just come out. Oh, geez. <laughs> and he said, we can't do that there. We just put out a successful mermaid movie. We can't make an animated mermaid movie. Yeah, because you should never make another movie that was popular. Or you should never take mermaid an idea is. that was popular and make another one of those. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, Too, sorry about the last 10 years of movies, people. Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, yes. I mean, but, but the idea of taking something like Splash, like, yes, okay, it's kind of loosely based on this idea of the war. Real. There is a mermaid in it. Yes, there is a mermaid <laughs> in it. And if like, oh, hey, people like Daryl Hannah. People like mermaids. Maybe they would like an animated mermaid. Right. And anyway, so, um, but eventually he kind of gets he comes around to the idea, and after a year or two, they they get the go ahead and they he pulls them off of Black Cauldron and. Or, well, actually, first, he pulls them off of Black Cauldron, and one of the other gong show ideas that they had was adapting Basil of Baker Street, which becomes The Great Mouse oh, Detective. Nice. Great and movie. So they, yeah. yeah so they did Great Mouse Detective, and they're like, oh, this is really good, and Great Mouse Detective is successful. It's not huge, but it's, it's good. Um, and they've got this other movie in the pipeline, Oliver and Company. And they're like, this is going to be our big hit. We've got Billy Joel's writing, writing the songs and he's singing in it. And, um, and we brought in, we brought in this, uh, this guy, Howard Ashman, uh, from Broadway. And he wrote one of the songs and he's really great. Um, and little shop of horrors is big and he just did that. And so God, I love that movie though. It's Oliver and company. It didn't do great per se, but it was. The, the music in that was awesome. It was well, and else. they really thought that yeah. that was going to be the big hit. Yeah. And so after after a Great Mouse Detective was done, they said, "Okay, you know what? Wow, Great Mouse um, Detective was before those." Yes. Yeah. So it went Great Mouse Detective, Oliver and Company. Uh, Great Mouse Detective and Oliver and Company are like the beginnings of Disney Renaissance. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, but, I remember Oliver and Company was huge, like in promotions, because I don't yeah. remember a lot of promotions for movies before then. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this is on like Saturday baseball, like commercials for it and stuff. Yeah, well, it, th- those were the first movies that have ac- that had actually turned a profit for them. Because you've got to remember, I mean, this is the story as old as the Disney Studio itself. These movie movies are hugely expensive to animate. Yeah. Yep. Walt Disney mortgages his own home so that he can make Snow White. And every single time they make one of these, like Snow White, Cinderella, and um, Sleeping Beauty, 
they put it all on the line and they almost lose everything, but actually they knock it out of the park and make a ton of money. Um, Disney had had this, you know, the rescuers, black cauldron, etc. movies that did not make back their budget. were not really doing that. Well, great mouse detective made back its budget. And they're like, Whoa, this is the first time this has happened in a while. Hey, Musker and Clements, thank you. You have good instincts. You go ahead and you go make your Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid movie. That's interesting. And, and it's John Musker, by the way. Sorry, okay. I just looked at John, it. John, yeah, John Musker. Yeah, John Musker and Ron. I didn't Robert. see Great Mouse Detective until after. So I saw Oliver and Company, then I saw Little Mermaid, and I saw Great Mouse Detective like after that at someone's house. And it became my favorite. I it's great, it. right? Yeah, I wanted great... to name my firstborn son Toby because of the dog. <laughs> like, I was like, this is happening. Well, and Radigan, like, great one. Disney movie villain. Yeah. Like, and that Radigan song, that's so much fun. That's so like, fun. Interesting. And great animation. The yeah, That really final great. scene in the clock. Oh, my oh. gosh. Yeah. That's like, again, it's like they're getting back at this stuff that is like, that is pure Disney. And, and again, hats off to Musker and Clements for, like, really pulling that off and being... Um, so great. And by the way, Musker and Clements like go on to make a dozen other movies for Disney, the most recent of which is Moana. Like oh, nice. these are company guys. We're gonna talk about three or four of their other movies like over the next long while of the podcast. So these are the guys. Um and they but they are like insistent we should go back to the well of, you know, this idea of, you know, making movies, yes, that work for girls. And Katzenberg is, like, adamant, no. We have to make sure that these appeal to little boys, too. There has to be stuff in there for boys, and, or else, like, it's, it's just never going to be successful. And Oliver and Company, Great Mouse Detective, very much... Superboy. Boy... Yeah. yeah, lots of boy energy in there. And, um, you know, this was this was seen as a risk by Katzenberg, founder of Queeby, co-founder of Queeby, um, who, <laughs> uh, you know, went so far when they did the first test screenings of this. Um, he saw in the audience a lot of the little boys started to kind of wiggle in their seats and lose attention when they got to part of your world. He's like, to be fair, I do that too. When he's like, we need to like, no, that we need an action scene. This, this needs to go straight to some hard up on the ship. And she's, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, the boys are, are losing interest here for these three, four minutes. We need to cut the song. And, they went to the mattresses over this between Howard and Howard Ashman was basically like, if you do that, I quit because every, and, and Ashman was super adamant about this, that like, this is the typical musical that at the end of act one, your heroine goes out and sits on a stump and, and sings an I wish song. Mm -hmm. This is something that they want. And whether that's Brigadoon 
or whether it's, you know, and he did this in Little Shop of Horrors. Somewhere that's green is the I Wish song. And you listen to part of your world and somewhere that's green and there it's like it's like listening to to early Beatles songs like they they are very much cut from the same cloth it's like you you get what they're doing they're they're using the same the same formula but he was insistent on part of your world and now it's like hilarious that like part of your world is considered like you start polling disney people like what is the greatest Disney song of all time? Part of your world definitely ends up in the top ten. A lot of people, it's like they're number one with a bullet. That's like that's it. That's that's what they love. Yeah, that's a great song. But like Katzenberg, co-founder of Queeby, was like, we gotta cut it. This is gone. So it just shows you like the tension of everything that's going on like within Disney about that they really don't know what they are doing (laughs) to a certain extent. And they produce this really weird movie. I, I think the little mermaid actually very weird. If you deconstruct it Um, anyway, it comes out. It's hugely successful. It's the first Disney movie to make over a hundred thousand dollars at the domestic box office. Hundred, oh, hundred, how much? Or a hundred million, excuse okay. me. Hundred million dollars at the box office, which used to be, I mean, that's like, you know, what what the billion mark is today. Um, like making, they, they called it the century club. If you made a hundred million dollars, that was like, oh, that is a huge hit movie. Um, and, uh, but all told, uh, between uh, releases, re-releases, home release, merchandising, the movie makes $2 billion for the <laughs> Disney company. <laughs> All revenue wow. streams told uh, within like a two to three year period. So it's the first like huge successful movie like beyond just this box office. And it is Titanic. It uh, and... This is my ultimate take on uh, on the Little Mermaid. Is it is then the Goldfinger of the Disney Princess mm, franchise? Very good. It becomes the template movie that they're like, oh, here's here's how it works. You get the you get the young girl. She she goes on an adventure. She has an animal sidekick. Um, people try to stop her. And she sings an I Wish song and, you know, and that's that's the trajectory. And you can see, I think we're going to see as we go through the next 20 years of Disney, um, everything that was happening in The Little Mermaid just gets kind of Xeroxed out here. And um, some for, for better and for worse, because as much as I think this is a great movie, yeah, <laughs> there's some stuff in here. <laughs> so well, anyway, I've talked a lot about that, the Little Mermaid. I find what that do you really guys? Really interesting though, Andy, because yeah. especially way the the way they just wrapped up the last Bond movie, right? If mm-hmm. in fact they're using Little Mermaid as like, if there's a comparison there of oh hey, Little Mermaid, we're gonna start pumping these out. We're gonna take Goldfinger and start pumping them out. The fact that they killed off, <laughs> wait. Can we do spoilers? 
Yeah, I just, the we... movie's out on video. <laughs> like anybody who, yeah, yeah it's, it's like streaming, he's, right? it's literally like the Poseidon theory. The Poseidon yeah. theory. Like when we uh-huh. go into the Poseidon theory, the fact that he's like the trident going into the last scenes of. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. of uh, no time to die. Yeah, no time to die. When they're like following him, it's like, oh, they really are. Like, there's a there's a little bit of a semblance there. Of yeah, wrap them King all up. Trident, like we're gonna kill him off and we're gonna model it and just put a little homage to Little Mermaid in there. That's what I've decided. <laughs> I I thought that was an homage to you, Brooke. It was actually. Like, <laughs> let's be honest. They've been listening to our podcast and they're like, "All right, fine. We're gonna make this girl's wet dreams come true and have yeah. <laughs> the Poseidon theory come all the way." Though, yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting because Andy and and, I, and I'll t- I want both of your takes on this because you know we've talked a lot about there's a lot of strengths in the in the main character. And there's a lot of things that as you watch it, you go, like you said, Andy, very problematic. Is it a function of them? Because the source material, I think, is a little different than what ends up on the Very screen. different. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's different. So I'm, I'm just wondering, is it because they weren't adept at writing, nor maybe ever writing, um, a strong female character? Like, it's just not in their wheelhouse. Because, again, it takes them a long time, like you said, to get it right we you know we talked about tangled and you you kind of end up in this vortex of we just don't know how to write these characters mm-hmm. um because you could have written this character without the very glaring flaws um and and, and had like they do with some of the male characters in like there's no flaws in what's his name from sleeping beauty right he's Prince just philip yeah. yeah oh look prince philip just comes in no flaws no nothing you can get through th- right like how come they can't pull that off for because they Aaron? don't believe it and so yeah. is that what it is like i'm just super interested in both your takes on it because i remember watching it going you could have this isn't that hard is it to just i well andy he addressed you first i'll let you go first oh, well no, i mean i think it's, i think it's all a matter who's in the room making the creative decisions and the people in charge of this train were Jeffrey Katzenberg, co-founder of Queeby. Um, <laughs> That's totally why I set that up. <laughs> Howard, Howard Ashman, a gay man and Musker and Clements, straight men. And, you know, like I, I don't, three of the four of those are not like overtly feminist. And it took, it took a gay man from New York to like insert the most feminist perspectives in there but Howard Ashman couldn't change the entire movie he could just put in the betcha on land they understand they don't reprimand their daughters bright young women sick of swimming ready to stand and you know but but the rest of the movie is kind of a mess Triton Triton is an abusive dick. Yeah. If 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 a father did that to his daughter, you should be calling child protective services. That that is wrong. I mean, I think it's hugely traumatic. I think that's where this takes a really interesting take for me, right? And we talked about this a lot in the 007 movies, like Bond movies. Are they writing real life as an expose of society to get things to change or did they just get really fucking lucky 
Mm. Right? Like, uh, yeah. When you look ladder. back on it, like yeah. they obviously they got lucky. They don't know how to write women because that was the concept of women at the time. So they actually right. thought that they were writing women. And so when we look at this and we look at Triton and, and especially with the things that we kind of brought up um, before we started talking, like, is this, is this like kids being told to disobey everything? Is this independent women? Like, what are the, the things here? Yeah. Like he was a dick. And so should she have followed her instincts? Yes. Is she a revolutionary woman who's going to change history and change the world? Yes. Is, are these things that they did intentionally? Fuck no. Yeah. No, I don't think they did all of it intentionally. But like as a kid who was in a household that was non-supportive and non-inducive of, of a healthy life, mm -hmm. did I personally appreciate this movie? Yes. Did they... Did they actually know what they were doing? No, I don't think they did. I think they were trying to, just like you said, they were trying to write in a way that would make them the most money. And I think that they accidentally stumbled upon something that ended up being representative of all of the problems in society because they were the problems of society. And so they wrote what they knew. And that serves us well in retrospect, but maybe not necessarily at the time. I love when they make an evil character a sympathetic character because oh my you gosh. look back and the evil character really ain't that evil, right? Like the Maleficent, I mean, Ursula is, a, is just legit badass, but like the Maleficent thing, you go yeah, back yeah. to Brooke, you know, now you're writing characters like Maleficent in a modern view and you go, this person actually got shit on the whole time. Yeah. Like no wonder things turned out the way that and, and Ursula is a sympathetic character in the sense of this person goes to Ursula because she can't go to their family. Yeah. Right? Like what a shitty deal. You can't go to your old man and be like, hey, I wanna go and experience something and, and learn new things. And they're like, ah here, let me smash your record collection. You're like, no, <laughs> like I had the Beatles in there. And for Andy, that's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, Brooke, I mean, th that's why that Ursula thing, this is one of those movies where the, the typecast of the sympath James Woods, right? All of these characters who become this sympathetic evil character, not really that evil, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, and I feel like, you know, when we look back on it, I get to show it to my kid in a totally different way then I grew up with it, right? So right. like the problems and, and it's really interesting. I picked her up from a play date this morning. She had a sleepover with one of her best friends and um, her friend's dad is, um, he was a film study in college and different things. And so he's really passionate about this stuff. And we talk about the podcast. I keep trying to get him to listen so that we have more listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was like, you really feel like the Little Mermaid is a good movie? And I was like, yes! Like, it was formative for me. And he's like, really? Because really, I all I think it teaches young girls is to change to be whatever the man wants you to be. And I was like, what? Like, legitimately, that thought has never crossed my mind. And I was like, that's really curious to me because it, it was so formative that I couldn't, even this last viewing, I couldn't go back to it with a really, like unbiased viewpoint and see that like it meant so much to me that i am completely swayed in her like favor but seeing her as changing for this man and becoming what he wants to be able to find love and these different things i was like huh 
Uh, that, I mean, I, th- I didn't, but I still don't actually think that that's really the case because yeah. she's like, I'll give up my voice, but I'm going to stay who I am. Right. And I'm going to try to win him with who I am, not just this one aspect of who I am. The the one aspect that he thinks he fell in love with, I'm actually going to make him fall in love with the rest of me. Yeah. And I thought that was really powerful. And, and so it's just, right. there's so much that comes out of these movies and seeing them in these different ways that um, I really think was accidental. I do not believe that the men in that room were had enough foresight to understand the power of what they were creating. But I think that's because they were living in the time that like, right. they were the product of their time, which exactly. gives it so much power, which gives it so much meaning, which gives it this underlying current of this is exactly why we're changing things. Right. So, so, but let me ask because like I felt like the the original tale, right, was very, very pro female character, right? I mean, this this character in the in was Hans Christian Andersen, right? Makes a number of selfless decisions and is granted like this very high um, you know, the daughter of the heir piece, right, Andy, if I if I remember that correctly. Right, because at the end they say, you know, if you stab him, you get your mermaid powers back and all this, and continues to make independent, selfless decisions, and ends up being this daughter of the air. Now, again, my reading is from years ago, so it may not be as. Um, I just remember it being like daughter of the air. I mean, but she turns into sea foam at the end, like she but then, dies. But then, but then becomes a. But then becomes the ability to, like. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyway, yeah. but my thought is, and to Brooke, to your point, if. Hans Christian Andersen is able to do it in the 1910s and and write a more valuable, valuable, but like a more character-driven, authentic piece. How come we can't? Well, like I, I, mean, I think the... that that's like comparing Whitney, comparing Whitney Houston to like fucking Mozart and Eminem. I'm just like saying we were just you... talking about that. Like Hans Christian Andersen, his mind was well beyond. Like he was a treasure. He was beyond Legit. his his like the same way that Mozart changed music in the way that like there are certain people who've changed storytelling over the years who yeah. saw things differently there is nothing normal about those stories there's no. nothing but like... I'm just wondering like <laughs> why can't you just pull I say this all the time and you you both know from watching movies why can't you just take the source material and bring over that motif is and mm-hmm. again I understand right. because of the the time frame we're in and a bunch of I also of... feel like even though we're more advanced we're more saturated. Interesting. And so Hans Very, Christian yeah. Andersen did not have all of the influence around him. He had his mind. He yeah. had his exposure and he had the things that he decided weren't okay and he wrote them into stories. He didn't have CNN and NBC and Fox and social media and everything. Like obviously that didn't exist back in 89, but we, the social media part, but our minds are permeated with what is acceptable society now. And that makes it yeah. easy to to not question, easy to not fight it, easy to to swim along the the current. Right. And I think that he didn't really have a current. He created his current. He wrote it into stories. And I I think that's where I'm going is is the pressure to write things a certain way yeah. more dominant now or you know at the time of this than it was in the 1910. But Andy, I mean, I I wonder if that's what it is like because you could have pulled it straight from the source material and again my reading of the source material from years ago would have been a more 
strong quote-unquote character right because right well there's there's more there's more action there's more death in in that version i think i think that is probably where they would have drawn the line that they're like we can't have like murder and we can't have this like downer of an ending when when we're all done and and they're like at the end of the day we still have to like make a movie that's going to make people happy and so we can sell a bunch of lunch boxes uh, and lunchbox thing yep you know um the uh and and really i mean this is what i keep coming back to and i think is the i mean this is the meta context and goal of what i think this podcast is really all about is like looking at what the cultural salience of each of these films is what is it saying about the moment that it was created and what effects did it have in the immediate aftermath and like for 1989 this is very progressive Mm. to have like a young woman saying like i am going to forge my own destiny and uh you know screw the literal patriarchy that i'm living under i'm going to rebel um, for 1989, that's like a that's like a big deal, and yeah. you it know, wasn't for, super welcome. No, yeah, yeah no, it wasn't received very well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, geez, I remember, uh, I remember after like one of the first weeks I was in Utah after moving there. Part of, part of the culture shock I got was friends telling me that their parents made them walk out of the Little Mermaid because they didn't like. <laughs> They didn't like that all of the mer people were immodestly dressed, and they didn't like um, that that she was disobedient to her parents. Yeah, he, and mer, mer junk and disobedience, Brooke. You remember that Provo yeah. one hundred and one, right? No yep. mer junk and no talking back. <laughs> and those and those giant nips on on King Triton. Jeez, <laughs> can't you see that I am king? No. Talk about your Poseidon theory. Poke your eye out with one of those. <laughs> poke your eye out. With the, your trident's right here. <laughs> poke your eye out with the penis-shaped uh, towers on the castle. <laughs> Do you all remember that controversy? There were so. Yes. Remember, there was all kinds of those in that movie. Like, there's one yeah. part where the sea foam moves, and you're supposed to be able to see. Like pieces, it, it, there was like four or five of them. I thought I remember. Well, and and somewhere in in one of my storage boxes, I have an original clamshell edition of the VHS. Oh wow! Of um, the Little Mermaid, I do too. where it has that that Phallic tower symbol. that looks very very penis like, and that they got rid of it and changed it to make it. I remember learning you know, about that. At- a combined young men, young women's activity at my bishop's house. They were like, no, there's a penis on it. And I was like, no, there's not. Those things don't <laughs> exist. Not, not ever. Wow. <laughs> that took a harsh turn really quickly. No one has those. You shut up. <laughs> no. Definitely not a giant erect one. King Future Triton. Brooke. Future Brooke is very sad for her. That's right. <laughs> King Triton just has to move that tail for you, Andy. <laughs> no, 
Well, I mean, I don't think I don't think mer people have penises. I I, I, mean, I would have definitely to get not in. those very um, veiny human-looking ones. Shut the fuck up! Yes, they do too. Have you? Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> this is my <laughs> new favorite part of this. <laughs> no, no, no. Have you? Okay, you've watched the green porno with Isabella Rossellini. I've told you guys about that, what? right? Oh my god. Okay. This is going to take an interesting turn for this podcast. Isabella Rossellini. I'm looking at both of our faces like Isabella Rossellini. (laughs) Isabella Rossellini dresses up in felt costumes and acts out the sexual lives and habits and patterns of the animal kingdom. So the very first one she ever did was a snail. And she's in this giant, and she rolls up into a snail, and she's like, my anus, would it be above my face? And she poops at herself, and it's very interesting. And then she talks about how snails are sadomasochists, and they stab each other while they're in... Anyways, there's one on whales, who I believe would be the closest thing to male people, mer people. Uh, by the way, my kid is in the room with me right now, and she's looking at me. I'm like, just watching Andy's face. Both of your faces are so great right now. Whales have a giant six-foot-long penis that, like, yeah. disengages from their bowel and shoots out of nowhere, and it, it, like, picks up, like, seaweed as it's, like, swimming through the ocean. I don't think that mer people would be very different. Well, because, because they're mammals. Yeah. Mer people, ah. mer people are fish. Oh, they're they're. I shouldn't have eaten before this. That was so funny. <laughs> they... With the hand motion. Mer people are mammals. No, mer they have don't... to be mammals. No, 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 no. Okay, hang on. I'm gonna do. No, this I'm is going to the scientific. Yeah. Research. No, mer I... people. She gets up on a rock and she breathes outside of water. Fish can do that. that. There are fish that can do that. There are lung fish. Not for a very long time. Whales do that. A marine mammal from ancient Syria. But do they, but they don't, we never see them like having to go to the surface. Distinguishing features of mammals, hair, mammary glands, live birth. Oh shit, they have hair. And Triton's got some mammary glands for you right there. <laughs> oh shit, they do have they have hair, and they definitely do. And because yeah, because all of them are wearing seashells. I don't, really know, I don't know about um, mermaid reproduction though. I'm guessing it's going to be pretty damn similar to a whale. Huh. Well, because I just figured. And if you that, watch like, Isabella Rossellini. Yeah, that's where I was learning. Well, because so, no, I'm. I just figured waist down is fish. And so that must mean they must have fish genitalia and, and lay eggs. And does Triton like... have an? Um, does Triton have a belly button? Yes. Yes. Boom. <gasps> Boom. Live birth. Yes. Boom. And okay. okay. That's fish it. don't nurture their young the way that mammals do. Okay. Let's see. Seahorses do. Live birth is not limited to mammals. Scorpions have placental. And now analog. Shut the hell up. Mermaids may be a marine. Marines may be a marine branch of the pangolins. Um, Five species of monotremes lay eggs. Mm -hmm. Um, On land, 100% mammal. In the water, 50% mammal. Still makes it a mammal. Mammals have breasts for feeding their youngs. Highly intelligent by their lives in human-like societies. Can breathe oxygen. Which makes people... um, I mean, they definitely have some fish qualities by not having to go up to land but they have the ability to like i think they definitely fall solid in the, the mammal camp 
Okay. Warm-blooded vertebrate animal distinguished by possession of hair, secretion of milk, and um, whereas a fish is a limbless. The would be very awkward. I, I, I mean, you wouldn't even need yeah. a screen, though. You just go for it. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, the okay, umbilical okay. cord, the belly button. To, if, if Triton's got a belly button, yeah, yeah, at I, least I think... in the taxonomy for Little Mermaid, they would be considered. Mammals. Yeah, I okay. And, you've convinced me. Well, I was fully on like team fish, and now I'm like, okay, definitely team mammal. Yeah, yeah is, is a Brooke Rossellini convinced us with her, <laughs> her very accurate <laughs> of mermaid porn? I love it. No, yeah, because oh, I, so I agree. Good. If they're if they're more like whales or like dolphins, then they definitely have penises, and you know, yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Stay tuned next week for the visual representation of this podcast where Brooke shows <laughs> For anyone who's interested, Green Porno is a production of the Sundance channel and you can find it on YouTube still. Thanks, Robert Redford. <laughs> that's that's very classy and oh. very great and everything I expect wow. from Sundance. Oh, my stomach Um, I okay. okay, so I have the Little Mermaid wow. on right now in the background and I... I am not seeing an umbilical cord. Oh no! I'm not seeing a belly button. button? There's a line as though it would be going to that. I'm trying to see if Ariel has one. Yeah, let's look at some screenshots. I don't remember. I I remember her uh, mer tail is pulled up pretty high over the navel area, so that could be why. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they were maybe purpose. yeah, maybe you just No, don't she's got it when, she's got it when she sings on the rock. She does, There's right? A definite navel. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to look at her. Yep, if definitely. You, if you screenshot the um when she's singing over the rock and the water comes up behind her, which is not mm-hmm. phallic at all. Well, um, yeah, definitely not a uh <laughs> Yeah, again, there. this movie is weird. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, the fact very... that it led us to this conversation. <laughs> I mean, like, that that definitely goes, like, over every kid's head. But that is supposed to be, like, very orgasmic. And... Oh, yeah. That was one of the first memes I remember is all of the jokes about that part. You're like, but this, yeah. that's gross. She's, like, 14 in the movie. People are She's so 16. She, oh. says it, she says it right there. Oh. Yeah, she says I'm 16 years old. So, so yeah, 28 states. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, okay. Now that I knew I would get broke. People don't have penises. Damn it! <laughs> this is this is um, but okay. So I find myself like a little creeped out. Um, before or after thinking. this conversation? <laughs> well, no, no, no. Before. Oh, okay. And this is like an existential crisis I've had about both Ariel and Wednesday Adams in Adams Family Values. Oh, interesting. Okay. That when I was their age, right. I thought they were very cute. Now that I am a 43-year-old man, I feel very weird. Yeah thinking that like Ariel is hot or Wednesday Adams was hot um, and because that this is, is like the only way this can go by the way this had to be the next so I have 
so you'll get a kick out of this, Brooke. I have what's called the car wash rule. Okay. So if you are driving down the street and you see a high, bunch of high school girls washing cars in the summer, if you are under the age of 18, you can go into the car wash. If you are over the age of 70, you can go into the car wash. <laughs> Between 80 and 70, do not go anywhere near the high school car wash. So, you know, Brooke's like, yeah, this is this is sound advice, because if you're that old, you're like, oh, it's the grandpa going to get his car washed. If you're under, you probably go to the high school. But if, if you're in between, you can't go into the car wash. So, Andy, to your point, I feel like this this is the car wash rule where Ariel's just a, a, a young girl who's trying to figure out her life so this is my this is my nuance again just wait if if there is a representation of ariel where she is older yeah or where i am talking about christina ricci if if christine like christina ricci age appropriate for me to say she is still very beautiful like because we are the same age that's that's yeah, completely fine but like yeah like it's, it's that it's, sexualization conversation book that we've had in a lot of these movies that yeah. make this movie yeah. very very problematic in all seriousness so, so yeah there's, Brooke, a, take, take a- there's this part of me that um and you'll see very quickly why i draw a line at certain things we grew up with these characters right so in my mind they grew up with us so I have that hoodie of the princesses that have their like tattoos and they have, they're like the bad princesses, but they're drinking yeah. alcohol and things. Clearly they're older in my mind yeah. because they have grown up with us. Um, but, but it does lead to this very, very interesting point of um, like when I watch, obviously Moana is a bad example. Um, and Encanto is much younger and things, but we wouldn't overly sexualize. Well, but those, they're not sexualized. Neither they're of those characters sexualized. are sexualized. So we have these these characters, and I think that part of it is because they were hot. They were cute. They were these, like, they were the things that were on the screen before us um, mm-hmm. at, those, at those specific ages. And now we see them as being a part of us. We see them as being grown up with us. I have groups of friends that are in very varied circumstances in their lives. People who are open, people who are swingers, people who are in throuples or monogamous relationships or just non-traditional or non-monogamous. And um, we have um, someone coming to town who has asked for a, an experience to be put together for him. Oh, interesting. And we were talking about the right people to bring together in a group and what that would look like and what is the desired experience and who would you bring for this? And our friends started talking about how they were at a party of all consenting adults, right? And they were having a really good time and they were getting ready to leave to go to a bar. And one of the girls was like, oh, okay, well, I'll see you guys later. And they were like, why? What's the problem? And they're like, I'm not 21, I'm 19. And everyone was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> like, we know everyone's of age, but what does right. that mean? And, right. like, if this person is younger than your children, where's the line here? And is it okay? And is it not okay? And it's still consenting. It's still adult. And for me, my initial reaction was like, huh? no. 
Like, that's not okay. There are hard lines. And then we started like really exploring it and discussing, but why? What are those lines? Yeah. And for girls my age, growing up with Little Mermaid and this very strict patriarchy and these mixed ideas about sexuality, I mean, a lot of stuff. For those of you who weren't here before we started recording, which is all of you, <laughs> we had a really long conversation about sexuality and what it means and being connected to ourselves and, and changing that for, for men and women as we're growing up and making this really healthy thing. And so we started talking about it and I was like, well, if we're doing the work that we're doing and you have someone, she hasn't ever been through trauma. She isn't overly sexualized. She's making adult choices to explore different things that are of interest to her in safe communities and safe society and seeing how that feels for her and age being in, like, it was a really, really interesting conversation. Hmm. And it really challenged me personally to say, okay, well, if we have healthy people, engaging in safe situations where they get to explore with responsible grown-ups then what is the issue right on it being just an age thing and there's still this very like carnal part of me that's like fucking no like it's just not okay and it's not someone that we're inviting to the group but but she is a very intelligent person who has explored her own sexuality in this very intentional way that is non-abusive and not harmful and not shameful and i gotta say like in the end beyond my just like initial rejection of it all i don't in a consensual healthy way age is a really interesting thing now yeah. obviously being below 18 i absolutely 100 percent agree yeah, with you absolutely no don't do it gosh thing but but when we start looking at these characters as, as characters who are have grown with us and grown up with us and like even if the age is being depicted at 21 right like with the alcohol and the tattoos and things is there an issue there yeah i don't know well i think it's or i think it's in the way that Oh, sorry. You're Go reverting ahead. back to your own childhood, and but you're not a child, so like, it is. It's it's a very interesting. Obviously, not many depictions have the princesses as grown-ups, right? They're still mm -hmm. being depicted as and Wednesday Adams as well. Like, they don't have the tattoos and they don't have the alcohol, and there's nothing to indicate that they have grown, which makes it icky. Yeah. But, but so like here it's it's there's I think there's a couple things at play here. The first is the way that we as a society fetishize youth. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that is based on power right. and patriarchal dynamics that like I can take someone who is a a younger person who is inexperienced, who is naive, and I can more easily manipulate them in order to dominate them. And that is what I ultimately want in a sexual partner, is I want someone who is completely right. submissive. And that there's a lot that, I mean, outside of like, I'm not talking about BDSM uh, consensual yeah, relationships. Yeah, yeah. I'm yet, talking about, about beauty and like, the beast. 
patriarch. That's the other thing that changed the conversation with my friends, right? Is that each one of the men in this conversation was like, honestly, it held to no interest to me because someone of that age right. doesn't have experience and it's not enjoyable and it's not yeah. consensual and it's not a, a, an exchange. It's not a connection. It's just a right. weirdness. Yeah. And he's like, this one particular person, however, is not in that stage and has had some experience and it's a very connective and exchanging experience. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that kind of changes it. They're like, but the, the, the virgin mentality, the young girl, the, the ingenue, the, the, the yeah, grossness the... around it. No interest in that. And so that, yeah, it gets gross. And that's what, and like an Ariel is not that like, if anything, I mean, you age her up to 21 and give her the exact same attitude. And you're like, oh my gosh. Yes. Like here is someone who's like, I know what I want. I care about things that are outside of my own bubble. No pun intended. And I want to be part of this larger world, and I'm fascinated by by things that I don't know about. Yeah. And I love things that are not like me. And, like, that is attractive. Um, feminism is attractive. Curiosity is attractive. But, like, the age thing is very problematic. And so it's like, you know, yeah, no, <laughs> I can't like the Little Mermaid. I can like the middle-aged mermaid. (laughs) It's the same premise. I mean, it's 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 the perception, right? Like the car the car wash story is it's the perception, right? You should still support young entrepreneurs, however you can, without the power piece, right? Right. And that's and that's the the essence of that story is it's really hard to support a younger generation without the perception of what it looks like right yeah. so that's why i tell everyone i'm like listen even if you need your car wash just hand them the money or, or leave your car right and just go somewhere because there is the, this weird perception that we have of that power stigma dynamic right uh, especially with what we've done societally to to this the sexualization at such a young age but yeah i you know i didn't I, i've never watched this movie thinking about that nor did i ever think of the adams family like that probably because um because you didn't have the same crush on christina ricci and ariel that that i did probably my problem is (laughs) yeah well i think part of what's attractive about those two people is their curiosities their obstinance their their everything about them there's nothing sexual about their personality yeah Yeah. i mean ariel is not interested in eric because he's a dude and she wants to get it on she is interested in him because of his curiosities of the world and the way that he interacts with his dog and his family. Like, there's something different about him to her, and that is curious to her. That flute, though, she yeah. likes that flute. She likes that, the flute. Uh, I can't believe that. <laughs> but but it's a connection. It's a music thing, yeah. right? Like it's not it's not sexual in nature. Her curiosities are not sexual in nature, and there's something about mm-hmm. that that's even more attractive i don't know that it's like yeah this is is a being of substance and um it's easy to age that up i don't know yeah well and we'll talk about this when we get to beauty and the beast but that is why i find Belle so attractive is because she is a being of no she is a being of like pure (laughs) intellect and curiosity 
and like a romantic character who like Loves wants adventure and that is yeah awesome yeah who like the thing that she wants she wants the library and right. i'm like yeah yep and angela lansbury awesome. but who wouldn't want angela lansbury <laughs> well and yes. her ability to see him for him mm -hmm. and every person in the world wanting to be seen and loved yeah is really beautiful and and rejecting um himbos like gaston yeah like she's just, that's just back. not interesting right and that gives power back to this story as well right. ariel is searching to be seen for her right not her voice yes okay and i think that that's beautiful yeah. yeah so i mean i we talked about ursula for like a tiny minute but then we just like went right past her i think we got to talk more about how amazing Ursula the Sea Witch is. Um, she works so hard. She <laughs> is, she, I mean that like she works. She's awesome and it hits so hard. It's, it's amazing. Um, uh, important to remember again, I think this is a lot of the influence of Howard Ashman um, based very much on Divine from the John Waters movies. Mm -hmm. That, like, she's, you know, kind of this, like, drag queen persona. Um, and awesome. Like, and I, I love get, the energy that she's putting out there. And how great to get Pat Carroll. I mean, talk oh, about yeah. one of the best actresses growing up. I mean, Danny Thomas. And I think she's got a Tony for, for something. But just a, a great voice. Um, and Did you she could, not terrify you, though, as a child? very terrifying oh my gosh super scary i don't know i guess it depends on what relief society you hung around brooke <laughs> <laughs> i you know it's funny because i don't remember her being terrifying like visually but i remember the power that she wielded and her subterfuge being much more terrifying but I, like i don't think she's as outwardly terrifying as the wicked witch right the maleficence I, I think she you start to get into these very subtle evil characters she was so yeah. inviting yeah that made but, it so terrifying but she wasn't yeah. the visual i would have gone to her house I yeah like her she, be my young women's leader she would have been awesome but like yeah. she, you know maleficent was visually then scary be a worm. right and and the the you know the, there's these visually scary evil people and she, ursula was much more of like yeah, come on over. It's you know, it's bakery day. It's well, let's make some pastries and hang out. And then the, you know, I like I just didn't see her visually imposing until she got further along. I liked the until she's five hundred feet tall and like, you know, yeah, creating like that, hurricanes. And I get her anyway. I won't uh, espouse the ending, but yeah, I, I I think the she had that glint in her eye of evilness, but. I don't know. I feel like the three of us were secretly more used to that kind of evil um, from, you know, from how we grew up. I think evil in our childhoods was a lot more wink, wink, you know, kind of yeah. psychological and rather than very physical, imposing um, fear, if that makes sense. Well, she's a great representation of that, like the, you know, the Faustian bargain. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you what you want you're going to give me something in return that is like 
that's going to prevent you from being able to hold up your part of the deal and I'm going to sabotage you the entire time. Um, you know, that's like... That's Faust, that's your monkey's paw, that's, you know, every Mormonism. sort of tale about that of, like, be careful what you you wish for. And because some evil power is going to, like, you know, take your dream away from you. Yeah. And, you know, being able to overcome that. Well, so. and it did feel very, like, I don't know, this is where it got icky for me, was the whole bubblegum story that we grew up with right oh no yeah. one wants a piece of gum after it's chewed like a dollar is still a dollar but it can be horror ruined like all these things and I, so i'm watching it and i was like oh this is where they dip back into that old shit that's really frustrating for me and mm. that i hold no worth unless he loves me right unless he comes to to save me or rescue me either him or my father or these other things like everything is going to if i follow my dreams if i follow the things that are important to me i will become unwanted hmm. yeah and and it's only through his love and his eyes or doing the impossible to be able to keep who i am then i become a worm right and so mm -hmm. so watching the struggle of hers of like why isn't it okay? Like, why do I have to be so defiant? Why do I have to to do the impossible of in, like tasks? Not just not just c completing the task, but completing the task while being beat down at every fucking turn and having every rug pulled out from underneath you and every stop thrown at you because you can't actually have what you want. It's not okay to actually just be curious and to explore and to change your world and to go into different dimensions like none of that is like i am only a pawn for other people's power i'm only a pawn for other people's happiness and in trying to find my own i endanger myself and my family and my world and everything else even further because i'm only a pawn and that part of this story really hit home for me that i was just like this fucking sucks yeah that she is and that's like when you're watching her and he's about to kiss her and there's all these different things happening and it's like the frustration for me as a kid was why can't she just fucking be her why does everything why does it have to be made so hard why does it have to be so impossible to complete this task why does it have to be only at the hands of other people that she is validated yes it's the it's the deal that she made right and that's the whole point of the the evil because villain because patriarchy Right, exactly. And that's where this, this story, like, it is great to see her be her and to go out, but there's this really darkness of, but if you really do try to be you, you better have someone who's going to come in and save you because that's not enough. Just stepping out mm. for yourself is not enough. Just going out to follow your dreams is never going to be enough, and you will destroy everyone's happiness unless there is a man to save you and that sucks. well and, and that's Ugh. hard i yeah. mean the hardest thing too is i mean one of the one of the frustrations with for example psychological literature is your your environment still has a play in how self-actualized you can be right? right and and that's always the frustration with things like this is 
I feel like there's a lot of socioeconomic groups and, and I mean, look at what's going on in the world around us. There's a lot of people who, even if they could make a deal, uh, well, of course they're going to jump on it because no matter how self-actualized you are, your situation just doesn't allow you to succeed. Right. And I think that's, that's the hard part of this movie too, is, you know, here's this person who does everything they can to get what they want. And, you know, in the end it ends up okay, but just like in other places, it, it doesn't ever work. There's just not a lot some people can do to be self-actualized and, and get what they need. And I think that's, a, to your point, Brooke, that's another equally frustrating part is some people we, we just, I don't know how we can get everyone to where they want to be, right? No matter what their goals and hopes and dreams are. And sometimes that's, I mean, that's not necessarily part and parcel of what Disney can or can't do. Um, but it does remind us of there's a lot of aerials out there who nobody's helping and, and how do we get to them and, and make sure they can um, harpoon the Ursulas in their troubles, right? Like yeah. it doesn't end well in, in all cases. So it, it, well, it's a great point, Brooke. And, and yeah. I, I wish there was a way we could do it for more people. Well, I'm well, someone I mean, who's, oh, sorry, go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, that's why I said, you know, this comes back to patriarchy. Like, Triton had the power from the very beginning. Literally, with a wave of his trident, he can give his daughter legs and let her do what she wants. And it's because he's an asshole. It's because he doesn't see that it's okay to move outside of his prejudices against, you know, against human beings to um to allow his daughter to to fulfill her dreams and he won't and so he pushes her to desperate ends and you know and and this is but triton is kind of the bad guy here mm-hmm. not ursula yeah i, I mean he learns his lesson by the end but you know at what cost along the way yeah so patriarchy is a lot of fear both on the person holding the patriarchy right because they don't want to lose what they have mm-hmm. but also controlling the other people below them and, and trident is definitely afraid he never got over the stuff that i mean that's what led him to being closed off and such a jerk right is he yeah. was, he was afraid of and she wasn't and that's yep. what that's what's another good part brooke like you mentioned is she wasn't afraid of the unknown or what was ahead of her and he's like why is my dad so afraid of this kind of stuff right yeah. Um, and, and it is, I think that's... But do you think, and this is where the, the trouble of the story comes in for me, do you think if Ariel had grown up reading the stories of Ariel, that she would have thought twice before following her heart? Right? Like, is this story really to show women that they can go out and do something, or that they have to have their dad's permission for it to be okay to go yeah. out and do something? And that's mm. where it's like, this is a really powerful story, except that it's also foreboding and it cuts both ways yeah and, yeah it doesn't yeah. doesn't necessarily it, it isn't fleshed out in the writing yeah. to be one or the when other I, when i when i look at the personal development world which i'm in it's it's infuriating to be in it infuriating because like yeah. at certain point everything breaks down right like you have coaches who are making money teaching people how to be coaches to make money to teach people how to be coach and and it's like, okay, how do we apply this to real life if we are convincing? Because the, the world right now is exiting employment. 
there's this mass exodus of people leaving jobs and going into doing these other things to make money and you have all these coaches that are like if you just manifest a million dollars around you it will come and you don't need a real job and you don't need but at a certain point that breaks down yeah because right. people have to work and we have to have gas and we have to so like you can't convince the entire world to leave their jobs and to teach people about how to be happy or we have no world left and yeah. so being someone who's in this world of I, I'm very careful, like, I'm not teaching anyone to leave their job, I'm teaching people how to connect to themselves to find fulfillment in the job that they're doing. And, but, but we have these stories that it's like, like you were saying, JB, there are people who, no matter how much they push and try, they're not going to find, they're not going to encounter the resources. We can't help every person to follow that dream, or can we? No. And how do we do that? How do we do it? Is the and what is the onus of these of these stories, and how are we telling them? Because I tell you what, like I loved this story, but in the end, it was still like, yeah, but she still had to be saved. I'll tell you what the real message of this movie is, though. Life is way better under the sea, <laughs> and the human world is a mess, <laughs> and it sucks. Let's all go live under the ocean where they just sing. All the time. There is a that rules. An under the sea rules as a song. Substantial amount of singing comparatively. In there, the yeah. <laughs> so Which like, I don't think would work quite as well for us trying to sing under the sea. But I digress. <laughs> I mean, maybe <laughs> if we could get a sea witch to make singing. it so that we can we can sing with Sebastian. Yeah. Uh, this this maybe is my Isabella segue Rosalini to Rosalini could work it out. There you go. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. This is my segue to talk more about the music. Um, okay, good. The, and the animation is amazing too. Like the animation really is really amazing. Well. Yeah. The, and this is like the and this is the last time that they are doing full cell animation. The next movie that they do, Beauty and the Beast, they're starting to experiment with computerized backgrounds. Yeah. Um, some of which is amazing and uh some of which it's like oh well does that take away some of the artistry well i don't know but some of it's beautiful but this is the last fully cell drawn animated film that disney does and, and just so everyone knows we are pro experimentation in this podcast so don't oh yeah think that it's a bad thing <laughs> yeah no experimentation good go for it fully um, support it yeah yeah uh, and anyway, oh, but uh, the music yeah. in this thing, uh, I, I talked, you know, about uh, Howard Ashman, who is the lyricist and that, but um, Mankin, who wrote the music and who wrote the score is genius, too. And um, I, this movie has just completely amazing songs. Um uh, you know, I talked earlier about the the history of Disney. Um, this ended a like almost like twenty some odd year drought of Oscar nominations for Disney movies. Uh, the last film that had had been nominated for anything was Bedknobs and Broomsticks, <laughs> and um, this was the first time, and they got two nominations. For Under the Sea and Kiss the Girl, which it's weird that like I, I think again is probably Katzenberg, co-founder of Queeby, 
um, who <laughs> this was probably his call when they were pushing stuff at Oscar time that like they decided to push the Sebastian songs rather than the Little Mermaid songs. Like Eric, in a right. movie called The Little Mermaid, supposedly about female empowerment, Sebastian gets to sing more than she does. The French chef gets a song. Oh, yeah. And she only gets one song. That she song's amazing. She gave up her voice. It was she her gave voice. up her voice, so she couldn't sing the second half of the movie. <laughs> but, you know. Still bullshit garbage. I know. <laughs> Ursula gets a song. Ursula's song is absolutely amazing. Anyway, front to back, every single song in here is an absolute jam yeah. um i mean we'll we'll talk about which ones are our favorites but like do y'all have any other like specific commentary about this music uh it's fucking off the hook and when i when i like i know i said it in our chat but i said that little mermaid was to me what Encanto is to my daughter and mm -hmm. it was because of the music right it had a strong story and it had a strong female in it, but the music permeated my existence and my friends and I would go to sleepovers and we sing it at our um, school like we sang under the sea and we sing uh, I think it was just under les the sea poisson, les poisson. everybody yeah. sang les poissons and then we'd go to these we I remember like making an underground like an underwater fort with my friends we put all our blankets up and we sit and we watched the little mermaid and we sang all the songs and we danced around and it was it was existence for us and i remember i like my sister auditioned for the role of ariel and her voice was so pretty they were going to give the role to her but she went on a mission instead like this was like the reality that i created for oh, myself because wow. existence was so difficult but her life and her exploration and her ability, like I needed to be connected to it somehow deeper than just this is changing my soul and I don't know how to express that because I'm 10 years old, right? Like it was, it was life changing. And I would sing the songs, even just getting ready for this today. I've been singing part of your world all day long with my kid. And like, I can't stop singing it because it, it took hold. It became like part of my DNA. And it was incredible. Yeah. And I think I've mentioned this. If I haven't mentioned this on a podcast before, I'm surprised. But I love when movies do this, when albums do this, where there are recurring musical motifs that get weaved in. And, you know, Mencken was a genius in when you just hear do, 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 do. And that gets—it's like that kiss from a rose. I miss it. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's the beginning of part of your world, but it's the first orchestral notes you hear mm -hmm. in when you first go under under the water. Um, Same with Bill. Yeah, and yeah, and and it keeps coming back, and it's and it's the song uh, Ariel sings when her voice gets taken away, and when she gets it back. Um, it, it, it's this great theme and it, it feels otherworldly. It feels adventurous and it's one of the most effective motifs in any film I've ever seen 
that wasn't scored by John Williams. I mean, but it's it's up there uh, yeah. along with, you know, little bits of either Star Wars or Indiana Jones from just how effective a, a few notes can be. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing, the music in this movie. Um, JB, you mentioned Le Poisson. When, when we had this on VHS, I sat down with a notebook and wrote out the lyrics for myself because I loved that <laughs> song so much and I wanted to learn it little like 12 year old me because like hee 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 ha 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 <laughs> that had that boy energy that Katzenberg like wanted so much yeah. which he now uses on on Queeby <laughs> well no or, or he would if Queeby hadn't uh, gone bankrupt <laughs> but anyway um, uh, but what a weird casting choice Renee Abergenois like okay the guy from benson it constable really odo from star trek deep space nine sure yeah he's the french chef he sounds great. great idea yeah throw him in perfect <laughs> just this movie this movie is great uh, and the uh and grace the receptionist from ferris bueller's day off uh is the the like lady servant in the in Eric's household too. There's like all sorts of weird casting stuff in here. I feel like um, this is this is that period when they they didn't look for like I feel like today's Disney movies they they it's almost like they have they'll branch out every once in a while, but everyone's kind of in the film industry, right? Or or mm-hmm. in this back then it was kind of like they were just taking in all kinds of different media. And they're like, oh, that person's on a commercial. Who's that? Or that person's in a TV show. Or that person I heard singing at a on a you know Tony nominated. And they just grabbed people from anywhere just right. because they had the voice in their head and they, they went and found them. Whereas now it, I kind of feel like, oh well, you know, this person, you know, Steve Carell's popular, let's bring him in. The, those kinds well, look at the live action remakes. Yeah. And like I mean, like Look, the the Lion King cast is stacked with talent. But that movie just kind of didn't gel. I mean, it, it works. It's effective, yeah, it's but it's like but it's not the same weirdly. Yep. And um, you know, Jody yeah. Benson, amazing talent, like just you know, and and she gets to come back in uh later Disney movies too but just yeah you're absolutely right JB and uh, and again I think Ashman was really helpful in expanding that pool of talent because he's able to bring in people from Broadway and yeah. you know uh, and they're like oh the guy who did Little Shop of Horrors oh sure like there's like some street cred to that whereas people would be like Disney is making an animated princess movie in 1988 yeah. like that would be like eh, I don't think I really want to do that like Disney really princesses whereas well, now as, it's like oh yeah that's just part of what you do as we learned from um, Star Wars it's generally good if you look outside of your stereotypical Hollywood genre right yeah. like all those British actors boy they sure turn the 
franchise around to all of a sudden, wow, people act in Star Wars movies? Shout out, right? Yeah. So it's, I feel like it was the same with Disney movies. You know, they were much better when, better, quote unquote, when they had talent. Like when they went for talent rather than just nomenclature or whoever's the fan, fanciest at the time. Let's get Chris Pratt to be the voice of Mario in the new Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> right? Like, case in point. Ugh. It's just weird. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, okay, so speaking of music, um, I need to talk about Sebastian. Okay. Who the fuck is Sebastian? <laughs> I mean... I think it's a everybody gets crabs in their life, so this is just the beginning. Well, but like what? Um, that's not a true statistic. <laughs> and if you think it is, then maybe you should go. <laughs> wow, JB's uh, telling on himself. You're not. I'm just kidding. No, but um, uh, only the, the king uh, crabs for Triton. It's yeah. nothing shameful. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think mer people wouldn't have a problem with crabs because it doesn't seem like. They have hair on their heads, but not anyway. Oh, drapes in the curtains. Anyway. Um, what's um, what is the motif of Sebastian? Like, well, like no, but I'm I'm wondering like what is he, like what is he in this world? He's he's like the court composer, the jester. Like, yeah, yeah. He's like the, but Triton's like, oh hey, you know what? You, you're the one who needs to go chaperone my daughter. Like, what? Like, I, I was telling Brooke this before. Like, imagine if Malia Obama was, like, trying to date some, like, Russian oligarch. And Barack Obama is like, uh, hey, Lin-Manuel Miranda, why don't you look after my daughter and make sure she doesn't get into any trouble here? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, is that who you would call or like, like, I was thinking more of like the Japanese robot that shoots free throws. Because it is, it's like, it's not even the same, it's not even the same type of person. Like it's a, it's a different, it, it would be, it would be like sending a Amazon drone to keep an eye on her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something like, because it's not even the same. I, don't, I was saying to Andy, I was like, Lin-Manuel, yeah. I'd actually probably be totally yeah. cool with but I mean, as a super- but that as should a be a movie. As a, as a but like, that would be a funny right? movie to watch. But like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's like Lin-Manuel if he was a, cra- a crawdad. Like, okay, yeah, yeah great. Uh, this is going to super help me out. And Flounder, come on. That dude is oh, one Flounder. movie away from being in a tank in Australia. That's all I'm saying. He's such a good, he's such a goody two-shoes. He just... He's like, Ariel, we're going to get into trouble. We should, like, be better. And, like, oh, poor Flounder. Poor Flounder. Poor delicious Flounder. But Flounder is a really interesting character, right? Yeah. I mean, all the side characters. Everyone loves Flounder because that's actually a little bit more relatable to each of us, just sort of going along and, and being willing to follow, but not really wanting to step too far out and being afraid, but wanting the adventure, like... Founder's really important, I think, to a story. Right. Making it really relatable. Like, he's ride or die with Ariel. He's yeah. not, you know, he's totally he just loyal. He's more ride or die to himself. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he is a fish. <laughs> <laughs> if only he had hair and mammary glands, he'd probably be a little more advanced, as we learned <laughs> an hour ago. <laughs> Right. Well, I think, um, but but the nice thing is this is this, I mean, Disney, good Disney movies, and, and I say this about most movies, right? Like good action movies, good Disney movies, they are all, they all center on, do you have good characters, especially side characters? Because I think side characters is the essence of, did you spend time writing a good movie or did you just throw something together? Um, and, and I think this is one of those movies where the side characters work, like Beauty and the Beast. Yeah excellent side characters oh you could watch beauty and the beast just for the side characters yeah um and i think this movie is one of those as well just really really solid side characters and well, eric's not too bad of a a dude either right like everybody's pretty decent yeah um, he's he's okay yeah he could like he doesn't have a lot to work with right no that's okay it's like another underwritten male role but oh well yeah, who gets a ship and a harpoon at the end. So way to go. Yeah, so, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, like, but, again, this becomes the template. Yeah. Because, um, you know, now it's like, oh, okay, we know how to do this. We have our princess. She has an animal friend. And, you know, and they, and they go on adventures. And that's... And we know that that will be successful because we... <laughs> Because we sold so many flounder plushies, and, <laughs> you know. They had those. That, I didn't get a flounder plushie. Come I'm on. I'm sure those are around somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, right. I think you can still find yeah. them as little like keychain clips for your backpack. Yeah. Yeah. But like Brooke said, everybody, everybody kind of loves flounder. So. I mean, I had him at Red Lobster the other day, and he was really good. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> Les poissons. <laughs> <laughs> um just yeah, kidding i would uh, never go to red lobster <laughs> <laughs> don't bother sponsoring this podcast darden groups take your olive garden and you can stuff it <laughs> you can stuff your flounder with yeah with your anyway. breadsticks anyway brooke probably okay. that was probably in the isabella rossellini movie too <laughs> <laughs> it will be soon <laughs> part two Anyway, so so under the sea won yes. for uh, for the best original song. Uh, it beat out "Kiss the Girl." Um, part of your world not nominated. The other nominees in that category, um, uh, after all, from "Chances Are." Wow, I love to see you smile by Randy Newman from Parenthood. The girl who used to be me by Marvin Hamlish in Shirley Valentine. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the Little Mermaid could have, the Little Mermaid should have been nominated in five slots there. Yeah, seriously. I mean, the one from Chances Are was a a romantic song. But I mean, Randy Newman's song's okay. I mean, Eminem has an Oscar too, so. Yeah, well, (laughs) deserved. Well, I mean, it was a great song. And all the spaghetti trucks we can handle. I'm just saying it's it it's not a category that makes a lot of sense to me many yeah. times. So Yeah, it, it is a weird category, but but they but they won. Yeah. Okay. Um anything else? 
Okay. I, Let's I mean, go. I don't know. I don't know what we haven't covered. Honestly, we, <laughs> we covered. Yeah, I think we've covered. I mean, we had to kick everything. the children out of the room. The That's sisters? how far we went. <laughs> we haven't really covered the sisters. Oh, oh, okay. Who in the tale do go? I mean, they give up everything for their sister, right? Like, yeah. I mean, they cut off their hair for this for Ariel. I think it was a real disservice the way that they were portrayed. And I understand the, like, superficial reasoning behind it and just the, like, this isn't the point of the story that we're telling, blah, 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 and oversimplifying and not overcomplicating, whatever. But I think they were done a disservice. Yeah. That's all I wanted to say. They're important characters in the, in the, in the, uh, the, what is it, a fable? What do you call it? The original No, I mean, it's a story. Hans Christian Andersen wrote stories. So, and I I agree, Brooke, and Disney has a really hard time with, with sisters and stepsisters, as we've learned from the last movies. But yeah, I agree. I I think they should have gotten a lot more screen time. Yeah. I mean, if this, if this movie were made today, there would be a couple of big differences. The sisters all would have backstories and they would all have like, and all of them would have something about them so that every little girl could decide I'm, I'm this sister, I'm this sister. And so that you could sell all five extra dresses of those and all five extra, um, extra dolls or whatever. So it's like, it's again, weird Disney, not, they're not thinking, oh, we should do this so that because we, we can make all this money in merchandising by like spending 10 more minutes in building out these characters. But also like um, there our movie going tastes have evolved even in 30 years so much that like we're like, yeah, it's not OK for these people to show up and have like one line. And be like, can't you tell, Daddy? Ariel's in love, and that's it, and that's all. Right. I think the I think the problem is if they if she had had brothers, the brothers would have been on the ship with Eric, helping <laughs> Ursula, and then they would have all done like some bro high five, right, Brooke, at the yeah. end. Where like yeah. the story all... would have become Luca instead yeah. of the Little Mermaid. We're yeah, all okay. a family now, and they would have high fived, and like that's the, I think that's more of the problem is if she would have had brothers, I think they would have gotten. Yeah. yeah, they would have had true. some magical power to just sprout legs like Luca, and it would have been a totally different story. Or, or one of them still would have been it. under their singing and wishing, right? Yeah, they like, would have been like holding the harpoon for Eric, or I don't know, just something weird. Like they, yeah. I feel like they would have just naturally found their way more into the story. Yeah, right. but I mean, but and they would have had a song too, and it would have been like an entire choir of <laughs> singing coming up. So, anyway. Yeah. I always Brooke wondered what that going. what that song was going to be after Ariel showed up. I feel like we were robbed. Right? Of like, you know, it's like Sebastian worked so hard on that and we only got to hear the first like 20 Ugh. seconds. Ariel, of it. you're so selfish. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a song. Oh, shoot. Never mind. <sighs> anyway. Um, anyway, yeah, shout out to the the sisters. More more love like for the them sisters. in the yeah. remake. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I don't think they're getting added a lot in the remake. I don't probably know. I don't know. Of I, course. I don't, I don't have a lot of trust in the folks making this remake. I am. Is it Jeffrey Katzenberger? 
No, it's oh, may or may not be affiliated with something. It's Rob Marshall, right? It's the I'm pretty sure it's Rob Marshall. And I just I don't know. Like he's made some good musicals, but they're all very by the book. And I just I don't see him like bringing anything new or inspirational here. And the cast he's put together, I am really iffy on. I just uh -oh. don't. I just don't get it. I don't know. We'll see when they when they come out. But the, maybe it'll flop, and that will be the end of Disney live action remakes for a while at least. Okay, uh, the box office for the Little Mermaid. Lots of money. It made overall one hundred and eleven point five million dollars at the domestic box office. And an additional 110.7 at the international box office. Wow. Inflation adjusted uh, is basically double that. Um, the The inflation adjusted domestic box office would be 243 million. Um, I mean, that's a that's a huge, huge movie, especially. Um, I mean, geez, today, if any movie is making a hundred hundred million dollars, that's. Uh, and, but it was but in that's theater in like times. all summer. I mean, it was. It was in it was in theater not only like all summer, but like, and then they brought it back. They re-released it like the next year, and oh. just kept it going. And it, like, it just killed. Everybody loved it. It was huge. Uh, I mean, like I said, it, you know, all revenue streams combined made them two billion dollars, which. $2 billion in 1989 is probably like five or six now. Just, it's, it's crazy. So, um, yeah. Do we have any, well, we have studio notes for this, for this movie, I think. And we've given some of them. Give the sisters more, um, more nipples. Save her damn self. Yep. And way more nipples. Way more triton nipples. <laughs> Yeah, I would I like the umbilical cord. <laughs> I would I would ease Fortunate. off of Triton. I would make Triton not a like abusive. I would make him more like disinterested or aloof. So he's not like it's like he does he can't understand his daughter, and it's not that he's like I, you know, Ab aggressive towards. You want her. more laissez-faire and less. I, you, yeah. I would actually change that. I would make him more relatable as an actual parent, right? Like we have legitimate fears for our children. We have legitimate things that we want for their futures. It may not be their path. That doesn't mean that it would be a bad path. And so, if you make him more of that kind of a parent, there we go. Like, yeah, that's yeah, better. Like hey. That you really could die and unless there's a magic witch and we have a world ending like trident war at the end like this shit isn't gonna work out the way that you think it is and not everyone's dad is gonna be able to show up like this like maybe let's hold back a little and set a reasonable bar like that's the kind of parent that i want to see from him is someone who is just like i want your happiness and why does it have to be so extreme and and 
like I'm fighting you because of my fear and my own limitations. That doesn't make me a bad abusive human or merman yeah. <laughs> or and, parent. And he merman. Needs, he needs Pops to be working. <laughs> he needs to be working two jobs, and at the near somewhere near the end, he needs to go. I'm sorry, I just never listened. I just didn't have time to hear your dreams and hopes, and I'm really like. It's that's so hard to rule a country and a nation and and, and just, still have this. Yeah, I, I responsibility I think to family and responsibility to society, right? Like just she, as a man, yeah. I'm not supposed to do both of these things. Which one do I choose? And then, of course, and also you're going to live 220 less years. Are you crazy? Why would you go be able, and uh, far away from your family? And I'll miss you, and I love you, and that's not the future. I, I like, like kind of like a transparent almost of. I need time to grieve the future I thought I was going to have for you so that I can support and celebrate the future you've chosen. But mm. weird to have these sisters who I haven't talked to yet. They're way over here in the corner that nobody's paid attention to. You know, I'm thinking of, <laughs> I, I think that um, uh, Hugo Weaving does a good job of trying to do something like this in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Where he's, you know, he knows what his daughter yeah. wants to do and he's yeah. trying to tell her don't do this like you can't you can't do this but he you know she's going to make her own choice but um you know i mean he they also had three two-hour movies to develop that across yeah. so. but even then they didn't spend a ton of time on they didn't it. spend think... a ton of time on it i think they could have i think you can show really did a great quickly, job though and yeah yeah and i hope that my comment wasn't dismissive to anyone in the trans community i think that like i've known several parents and and with with myself of like a kid who who like i have a hard time getting the pronouns right all the time right like and and my kid is we've had very honest conversations about her allowance of me using them interchangeably and things and it's it's a really beautiful thing but as parents we have a future that we believe is going to make our kids the happiest. And we're yeah. almost always wrong, always. But there's a point at which you have to just embrace and love it. And sometimes it's really hard and there, there are aspects of it in which we, we get to let go of. And I think when we get stuck, and I've, I've helped some friends who've done this, get stuck in the space of, I'm going to be supportive and love you and not giving ourselves our own permission to grieve and release what we had wanted yeah and it puts us in this weird dichotomy of like fighting against what our kids want because we're holding on to it so much because and instead of just letting go and actually saying my grieving isn't indicative of not being supportive it's just right, letting go right. of what i thought and, yeah and that doesn't mean that i'm sad about your choices it just means that i get to let go of what i had created in my mind so i can more fully celebrate you and show up for you no brooke i um i i obviously don't speak for everyone but um i i didn't take it that way and as um as a parent whose eldest child is potentially trans definitely queer mm -hmm. and definitely like pursuing different different things and you know has chosen a new name for themselves and and pronouns and um you know i can i can see my um my wife going through that morning 
um, you know, that is really difficult because it's like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I thought, you know, this was going to be your life. And, um, you know, so I, I took, I, I didn't take offense at, at that. I do think that there are some parallels. It's, um, it, like and it, it would, it would be, well, and it's an interesting take because again, if we're making art that really fits the time frame. If you made a Little Mermaid today that was a trans allegory, mm -hmm. that would be a really beautiful film, I think. Or even non-binary or like queer or whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever. Like, like yeah. I have obviously like being in the queer spectrum, no mm -hmm. problem with supporting queer kid or yeah. whatever, whatever. But like, then there's the gender thing that's a little bit harder not yeah. because it's harder to accept but because my autism brain like defines things and compartmentalizes and and so like i just think that that would like this it'll be interesting because this is an opportunity that could like are we gonna set the little mermaid in like the bay of texas and like, bring texas politics into all of this that that's an opportunity I oh guess my gosh could take but um, i feel I bad for any mer people living in the waters of texas knowing <laughs> right. how much oil pollution there is there like it's just there's <laughs> there's a lot of opportunity here yeah and for the one you know reference to a gay family in frozen mm-hmm there's a lot of opportunity here to where there could be universal support and much in the way that I think that they got a lot of things on accident in the original Little Mermaid mm -hmm. that have become really powerful speaking points now. I hope they do it intentionally a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Any, that's, what any I, other... that's what I'd like to see of King Triton. Yeah. Any other favorite. studio no notes? I have one more. I I would like a second song from Ariel in the second half of the movie when she is voiceless mm. that she is singing to herself in her head about like um I I I don't know trying to communicate without her voice and how much she I don't know whether it's like something about loving music and oh not being God able to share genius. that or something something like that and about like and she doesn't like being silenced and she's not going to let that like keep her from living her best self or or something like that um like i think that would be a great way to again get rid of some of the oogie-ness around the sexual politics of this film. It's so. literally bowing before you. You are a goddamn genius. That would be so powerful of using our voices when we've been silenced and owning and carrying the heaviness and the weight of our decisions, but standing behind them anyways. And, yeah. And having a... Oh, Jesus, man. Yeah. Someone get this man on NPR. <laughs> well, I mean, unfortunately, we'd need Howard Ashman to write it, and uh, we we lost his beautiful genius. Uh, but yeah, I want that song. I'm not going to be satisfied without it now. <laughs> well, we we'll need to. I don't know. Get Lin Manuel Miranda to write it or someone. He's he's know. busy. He and he's... the Japanese free throw robot are taking princesses around. So you have to, <laughs> you have to wait for a little while, y'all. <laughs> 
Okay. You did this to yourself. I just want you to remember. Yeah. <laughs> do we have Do we have favorite one-liners or quotes? movie's so cool. Oh, I can't, I can't so remember cool. what was an actual quote and what I've learned from Brooke today. So <laughs> my favorite quote might be this, the pe the penis in the butt. You know, there's something, I'm like, wow, I've learned so much. Um, by the way, I, did we do favorite song yet? Or are we doing quotes? No, we're, that, we're getting to it. Two more. Okay. Yeah. Gosh, what is my favorite? Yeah. Um, uh, I will. Okay. Best other. I mean, the, most of them are from the songs. Jingle Hopper. A dingle hopper. Oh my gosh, why we haven't talked about Scuttle at <laughs> no. all. I feel so bad. Sorry, Scuttle. Love it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the human beings who sit around staring at each other all day. It got my very dear, boring. it's what I do. It's who I am. <laughs> so. What's the snarf? There was like a the snarf flat. The snarf flat was the pipe. They make beautiful music. So, that one that one made me laugh yeah because i remember trying to look up what the hell that was yeah that's what the that that was the that's what he said that human beings used to sit around staring at each other all day and it got very boring so they invented the snarf blat to make beautiful music and don't be such a yeah. guppy don't be such a guppy that's like great. i i mean so every great. every ursula quote is great i i love the what's the one Come in, child. You, we mustn't lurk in doorways. It's rude. <laughs> so long, lover boy. Oh. I like, I like when she's like, but without my voice, how will I be able to get him to kiss me? And she's like, that's right. <laughs> uh, what's the? Where is it? Oh, lawyers! Don't you just love them? Of course. One more thing, my fee. <laughs> <laughs> um. The um, but she's like, she's and right after that. She's like, you've got your looks, your pretty face, and don't forget the importance of the body, body language. language. <laughs> but Ursula, Daddy, I love him. Queen. She calls everyone cupcake, doesn't she? That that's like the most derogatory term for someone. Hello, cupcakes, my and little her, cupcakes. And her her poor little poopsies. Poopsies, yeah. When when flotsam and jetsam. Die. Yeah, the doorway one I think is my favorite. The doorway I will is great. Say, in the in the song, part of their world, um, when she says, uh, she's talking about the candle. She's like, "What's the word? Burn? When's yeah. it my turn?" That part has always bothered me since I was a little child. Of like, why is she saying it? When's it her turn to be on fire? No, to, <laughs> I know that's not what she's actually saying, but the way that the rhyme is made in my mind, she's like, it, it does kind of um, sound like that, huh? She's I, saying like, what? How does it burn? When's it my turn? And I was like, you don't want to burn? Don't burn! But that was that was my. See, I always took that the other way. That like, <laughs> that's where I think that song like hits its highest gear, where it she's equating her desire to live in the human world to burning like a burning yeah. desire and i felt like that was a great use of that imagery and i i agree it's like yes i feel like, like the okay, rest of the world my like, turn. really got it but my yeah. brain couldn't get over it well because well, like, it's the antecedent to the sentence <laughs> it's the antecedent to the sentence of like when's it my turn uh to explore the world up above like that's um, yes 
Absolutely. You know, that's what that's what she's she's asking. But yes, I agree. It, it is a little. Eh. Anyway, um, yeah. okay. Best side character. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> so all hard. of them. Scuttle. Flounder. It's so hard. Sebastian. Like, Scuttle. Ursula. Ursula. Yeah. Scuttle. It's like the who? Dog. It's all Ursula of them are makes top this team. movie for me. Not They're the so sisters. Good. I just love. It. Yeah, Not I mean, the sisters, unfortunately. Yeah, I. For me, it's. I think <laughs> Ursula really drives everybody's learning in this. Like, she pushes Triton to make his decisions. She pushes Ariel to do all that. She dies in a way that no five hundred foot sea monster would ever die. Get oh, come on. It's so poor sad. baby. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, she's hugely powerful, and we've dispatched her in like. Five and minutes. yeah, nice job with your wooden ship. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I really like her. But you're you're all right. I mean, there's. It would probably be different in the in the story because I think a lot of the characters are fleshed out a little more. But yeah. Okay, best song. I mean, everybody's gonna know what mine is because. I mean, I gotta go with "Part of Your World." Yeah, it's my favorite. But I, I. But Le Poisson. <laughs> you two are both so silly. Yeah. It's obviously Ursula's song because Poor Unfortunate Souls. Oh, so also so good. Oh, so good. And it's also, by the way, a minute and a half longer than any other song in the, oh. in the movie. Showing how important that song is to the plot. Well, there's a lot of exposition in there too. Covers a ton of ground. She like that. yeah. That's basically the whole backstory for a lot of characters, I think, because she covers a lot of ground there. But yeah. I mean, part of your world is, is is the Disney gold standard, right? Yeah, but like think think about that genius of Howard Ashman's lyrics, that in four minutes of song, of lyrics, he takes us through all of this exposition that would like normally take like because like if you tried to explain oh the sea witch she like makes deals with people and then she breaks the contracts and she turns them into these worms and it's like no i'm just gonna show you and it's gonna take 20 seconds and it's a song yep. and it's amazing it's i mean so... she lay, lays out all of the flaws in humankind like oh don't gossip we'll think you're a bore and uh, like not yep. only not only what her backstory is, but the expose on, are you sure you want to do this? Cause this is what you're in for up above. And well, anyway. and she, she takes her from like, Ariel is scared and lurking in her doorway and not even wanting to going in there. Five minutes later, she signed the contract and it's done. And she's yep. a human like man, Ursula, like, she could sell anything. And I told my realtor you ought to start singing like that. That would be really helpful. <laughs> she can sell ice in an ocean. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Is this a good movie? Yes. Oh gosh, a good movie. A good movie. Is the main character a good person? Ariel. <gasps> Such a good person. Yeah. She's so good. Now, should we show this to children? Yes. 
Well, nowadays we can. I mean, kids are watching Candyman, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> the 14-year-old came home from school the other day, and she said, we're watching What About Bob in what? health class. I'm like, what? She says, yeah, it's mental health week, so we're watching What About Bob. I went, oh, my God. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, that's better than The Deer Hunter, I guess. Or... <laughs> but, like, I didn't, I never associated What About Bob with like the, the pop culture version of mental health. I mean, when you look at it, Bill Murray's character is going through a lot in the movie, but um, I mean, that's going on in schools now. So you could probably show little mermaid. Oh yeah. My, but, the first time I ever watched the little mermaid was the last day of school in sixth grade. Oh, they wheeled in the VCR and showed, and I'm like, oh, a Disney movie. We're not babies anymore. Ugh, why are they showing this to us? And like five minutes later, I'm like, okay, this is kind of pretty good. And 30 minutes in, I'm like, oh my gosh, this movie fucking rules. And then 30 minutes later, you were like, don't get a semi, don't get a semi. I have to say it. <laughs> I'm a whale, I'm a whale. All I need is a belly button and we're good. <laughs> that could be taken in many the wrong <laughs> I hope there's a follow-up movie to teach me about all of this. Uh, maybe Brooke knows. <laughs> just, wait, just wait 40 years. Brooke will explain yeah, there'll be There'll be a movie that'll... Yep. No, it, it, it was. And, and, and I appreciate both of you because, again, like I told you, I, I didn't have a lot of great respect for this movie just because I think when you watch it when you're younger you miss a lot of the context and you watch it when you're older and you have kids around and like you see how society almost poisons female characters right like it really does the writing of these people just they just haven't gotten it right um, this movie is very different in a historical lens um, just to look at it now and like if you two were in charge of writing it what a different story it would be it would be like if andy and brooke were in charge of the script for this the new version of little mermaid it would be totally different um so and lin-manuel better get ready because apparently he's the crab so <laughs> now that's the that's the one that's the one piece of casting i really like in the live action one is they got david diggs to be sebastian i'm like that's that's great that's right. Yeah, David Diggs can do anything. But no, that that's been really great. I mean, other than the tangents, which I always love, it, it is good to see this in a historical light. And um, I think a lot of stuff that we didn't get as children um, mean a lot more today. And um, I, I, you know, as kids watch it, I hope they can watch it critically. Yeah. Go, oh, this is really interesting. Yeah. Okay. So next week. Um, we we're going to do another show on the little mermaid and we're going to bring in a bunch of guest friends to be here. So we're very excited about that. <laughs> Melissa will be back next week. Yay! Um, we gave her an excuse off this week. She's have been working a ton new job and she'll be back next week to set us all straight on. on <laughs> She's going to listen to this and be like, <laughs> have the studio notes are all going to be what she thought we did wrong. <laughs> yeah. so we'd be like, Brooke, you are not a feminist. You are fired. Like, get out. Like, okay. She's going right. to be like, JB, what's with the car wash, asshole? That's the dumbest story. <laughs> yeah, she's anyway. going to, oh, my story. Sorry. Sorry for the whole we world you, for Melissa. my story. Sorry we weren't better. 
So Melissa, right. Melissa will be back, and then our friends uh, Roy and John from Yours, Mine, and Theirs are are going to be here. Uh, Tracy Mangum from Movies That Make Us, and um, oh, and uh, and and my friend Katie from our work in Isolation Playhouse, who uh, uh, we'll talk about when she played Ursula in our version of uh, of Little Mermaid. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Very excited for all of that. And then the week after that, uh, Stockholm Syndrome. We're finally getting into it. So uh, excited for that. Support my Stockholm Princess TikTok video. If you Brooke, oh I suggest gosh. we um, podcast from the bathtub just to make Andy more comfortable. Oh my god, absolutely. I think I need to podcast from the bathtub. I think it is a mandatory bathtub episode. Can you imagine if we're all in the tub doing Beauty and the Beast? That would be so awesome. I love it. Awesome. Uh, Don't drop your mic in, though. I think bad things happen. That's, yeah, that's that's a bad thing. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We will see y'all next time. Good night, Isabella Rossellini. Big kiss. Throw back your head and kiss it all goodbye. Thank you, that will be all. God damn it, that's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. Good stuff out now. Yeah, this this is gonna be all the like. I should save that for the recording. <laughs> we'll put it at the end. Oh my god, I miss be... you guys so much. Uh, yeah. This is gonna be good. We miss. We'll tell Melissa we miss her when we start too. I know. Absolutely. All right, here we go. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Janet.